Salutations, listeners. You're listening to another episode of the Dr. Jazz Podcast, and I'm your host, Nathan Holloway, your doctor for jazz, hoping to cure whatever it is that ails you through the power and majesty of jazz music. We continue our special series on Maverick composer John Zorn with this edition, part six, sound and vision, the inspiration of art and film in John Zorn's music. What you're hearing behind you right now is a piece Zorn composed called Redbird. Redbird is dedicated to the artist Agnes Martin. Agnes Martin's art is generally minimalist and is marked by soft edges, muted colors, distinct horizontal bands. If you take the time to look up some of Agnes Martin's work, you'll see where those descriptions are fairly accurate. Although she called her own art abstract, most called her work minimalist. And as you can hear behind me, Zorn has taken that minimalist and soft approach to his piece dedicated to her, Redbird. This is one of many inspirations that Zorn used either from artists or films or filmmakers and that's what we're going to be taking a look at in this episode up next the artist Marcel Duchamp here's a piece Zorn composed for Duchamp from his album Duras Duchamp here is Eton Don 1 through 69 
Okay. That was Iton Donay. I'm guessing how you pronounce it. My French is not that great. That was a piece composed by John Zorn. Iton Donay, 1 through 69, dedicated to the artist Marcel Duchamp. The same Duchamp that um, produced New Descending the Staircase, LHOOQ, Bicycle Wheel, all these things. And um, this piece, this art piece by Duchamp, was actually a a sculpture piece um, that was worked on secretly from 1946 to 1966 in his Greenwich Village studio. The piece um, of art, the sculpture piece, is actually comprised of an old wooden door, nails, bricks, brass, aluminum sheets, steel binder clips, velvet twigs, leaves, uh, a female form made from parchment, glass, oil paint, hair, plastic clothespins, linoleum, uh, an assortment of different lights, and a landscape composed of hand-painted and photographed elements, as well as an electric motor housed in a cookie tin, which rotates a perforated disc. Now, the female figure in this work, this sculpture, was actually based on uh, Duchamp's girlfriend from 1946 to 1951, who was actually the Brazilian sculptor Maria Martins, or Martins. Uh, but the the hand, the female figure's arm, was actually uh, inspired by his wife, his second wife, Alexina Duchamp. Um, the interesting part about this is that he worked on this secretly uh, between 46 and 66. And Duchamp died in 1968. But it was actually created with the intention of having it displayed at the Philadelphia Museum of Art, which it's still at today in Philadelphia. Um, and Duchamp... According to his wishes, it wasn't until after his death that his widow, Alexina, the one whose arm was the basis for the piece, and his stepson, Paul Matisse, installed the work at the Philadelphia Museum of Art, and he left an entire manual of instructions and a four-ring binder explaining how to, and illustrating in that binder as well, how to assemble it and how to disassemble the piece. It's a very moving piece. It's very different. Um, most people have thought that he had given up art because of his interest in competitive chess, but it's a it's a tap. This piece is a tableau in which it's only visible through a pair of these peepholes, one for each eye, and in a wooden door. And there's this nude woman who's lying on her back with her face hidden and her legs spread, and she's holding this gas lamp in the air in one hand against this backdrop that's a beautiful landscape. So, it's 
obviously an interesting piece in its secrets in its secrecy as well as in its high details for this piece which no doubt inspired Zorn to write his piece with all these sound effects and all these different things between each of these little miniatures so it's almost perfect for Zorn because this is a miniature piece and Zorn's always said I'm not interested in uh, or he said in interviews Zorn has always said that I'm not interested in big 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 works with like full orchestras so much as more intimate settings more smaller things more miniature based things and that's one of the reasons I think that this is a fascinating piece now up next we've got a piece by Zorn called Out of the Eternal Sphere from his uh, album The Garden of Earthly Delights and on that album cover it features the artwork of Hieronymus Bosch so while you may expect something crazy or scary I think you'll be surprised here is John Zorn's Out of the Eternal Sphere
from Zorn's Garden of Earthly Delights. And on this album cover is like almost this black cover and it only shows like this kind of diamond flowery shape in the center. And as you open it up, there's Hieronymus Bosch's The Garden of Earthly Delights. And that song was entitled Out of the Eternal Sphere. Just pure beauty from Zorn. Hieronymus Bosch was an artist and little is known about his actual life, even though there are some records and, and things like that, but his works are just very majestic. And his Probably his most famous work is The Garden of Earthly Delights. And it's this triptych in which the outer panels are intended to bracket to the main central panel, hence triptych, three parts. And on the, on the left panel, and the Last Judgment is on the right panel. So, I'm sorry, the Garden of Eden is on the left panel, and the Last Judgment is on the right panel. So, it's almost like um, a chronology, if you will. You know, and the left-hand panel, um, there's Adam and Eve, and God is given this youthful appearance, you know. Uh, the figures are set in a landscape that's, you know, with exotic animals, these... Um, semi-organic hut-shaped forms and the central panel the middle panel is this broad panorama with uh, socially engaged like you know figures who are nude and they seem you know pretty innocent but they're self-absorbed in joy 
and, and there's all these animals and oversized fruit that look like gigantic fruit and um, there's these weird like stone formations and things but the right panel you know um, the last judgment panel is like um, what's been called a hellscape and it's this panel that's actually underneath the flower diamond shape of Zorn's album, The Garden of Earthly Delights. And it's a very horrific panel. It shows this world um, in which human beings are being succumbed to the temptations of evil and they're going through eternal damnation. And it's also set at nighttime. Uh, there's many, many like dark, cold colors, uh, frozen waterways. The the figures that are shown within this panel are these tortured kind of figures. Um, they're nude as well, just like the other two, but they have lost any kind of eroticism and they've lost any kind of joy. And there's these explosions in the background of the third hellscape panel. And these explosions um, basically are throwing the light onto the city gate and they spill into the water in the panel's mid-ground. And it's just it's a fascinating look. you know. I urge all of you to check out the Garden of Earthly Delights by Hieronymus Bosch. So, and no doubt that was an inspiration for the Out of the Eternal Sphere by Zorn. So, on next, on to the next selection, we are going to be listening to Duras and uh, a piece, part of the Duras suite that Zorn wrote for Marguerite Duras, and this is entitled Epilogue. was epilogue from the sweet Duras by John Zorn dedicated to Marguerite Duras. She was a French novelist 
playwright, scriptwriter, essayist, and experimental filmmaker. Her 1959 film, Hiroshima Mon Amour, earned her a nomination for the Best Original Screenplay at the Academy Awards. And even though <clears throat> she was the author of many novels, plays, films, interviews, essays, short fiction, everything like that, um, so, she was such an inspiration because just of pushing the envelope, some of her works, such as Lomasis dans la couloir, in 1980, actually deal with human sexuality. In 1980, her ex- her films are experimental in form, and they have the synchronized sound to them, uh, using a voice over to allude to rather than tell the story that's being seen by the fi- in the film. Uh, the spoken text is juxtaposed with all these images, who. The, the relation is said to be more or less indirect. Um, in 1983, she was awarded the Grand Prix du Théâtre l'Académie Française. So, someone like this is obviously highly artistic, highly controversial, and no doubt an inspiration to John Zorn. So, um, that was for Marguerite Duras. Up next, the obscure objects of desire. Thank you. 
The Obscure Objects of Desire for Louis Buñuel by John Zorn. Of course, that was inspired by Buñuel's last film, That Obscure Object of Desire from 1977. And it was an Oscar nominee for Best Foreign Language Film and Best Adapted Screenplay. Um... Just tons of awards, and many, many critics and, and directors have called that actually one of the ten greatest films of all time. Now, Louis Buñuel, as some of you may know, worked uh, with Salvador Dali 
on such things as Unshin Andalou, the Andalusian dog, 1929. They were kind of part of this whole surrealism movement, you know, and uh, that was led by Andre Breton. And Breton defined surrealism as pure psychic automatism through which it is intended to express either orally or in writing or in any other way the actual way thought works so they Dolly and Buñuel being they they actually they had all of these crazy ideas that they did not want any kind of logic for they wanted to abandon all logical associations with the images in this film. And it was a silent film. And um, there was one night that uh, Do- Dolly came in and he said, I-, I-, I actually had a dream last night about ants swarming around in my hands. And Buñuel said, good Lord. He said, and I dreamt last night that I'd sliced somebody's eye. And then they said, there's the film. Let's go make it. And there was this complete abandon, and it was it's a wonderful film. It's actually uh, one of the surre- surrealism films that's shown and screened in, in many kind of film societies worldwide. Um, and, a- and after that film, Breton... Uh, allowed them to be part of this tight-knit community of surrealists. But the funny part about this is that Buñuel used to show this film and he would put on different you know, records on the turntable to go along with this silent film. But he would also have these stones in his pocket that he would pelt at any of the hecklers who did not agree with him. And I think that's just a fantastic, fantastic story. Uh, about Louis Buñuel. So, um, if you haven't seen that obscure object of desire, I highly, highly, highly urge you to go and check it out. Buy it through Amazon, rent it, uh, go to your library, you know, stream it, download it, whatever way, but get to it. Uh, as well as Unshin Andalou, the film with Dolly and Buñuel as well. Well, <clears throat> up next, there's a piece called Untitled that's actually a solo cello piece from the John Zorn album Madness, Love, and Mysticism. Here's Eric Friedlander with Untitled. <laughs> Thank you. 
Thank you. 
Untitled for Solo Cello by John Zorn. That was from Zorn's album Madness, Love, and Mysticism. And on the cover of that album is a screenshot from Lodge Door by Louis Buñuel. But this piece, Untitled, is actually dedicated to Joseph Cornell. And there's a film uh, titled Untitled by Joseph Cornell. And it, it's a great film. Uh, it's different, but it, it's cool. Uh, I've actually seen it. You can find it on some of the avant-garde greatest you know, movie collections out there. <clears throat> and um, just to give you a little insight into Joseph Cornell... Um, Charles Simic described Cornell's methodology as such. Somewhere in the city of New York, there are four or five still unknown objects that belong together. Once together, they'll make a work of art. That's Cornell's premise, his metaphysics, and his religion. Marcel Duchamp and John Cage used chance operation to get rid of the subjectivity of the artist. For Cornell, it's the opposite. To submit to chance is to reveal the self and its obsessions. Cornell was also heavily influenced by American transcendentalists, Hollywood starlets, who some of his boxes that he had made were dedicated to them, French symbolists such as Mallarmé, and 19th century ballet dancers such as Marie Taglioni and Fanny Cerrito. Now, an interesting story regarding two people that we've recently discussed here, Salvador Dali and Joseph Cornell, is Cornell had a film that was premiered at the Julian Levy Gallery in December of 1936 during the first Surrealist exhibition at the MoMA, the Museum of Modern Art, in New York. Salvador Dali was there in New York to attend the MoMA opening and was present at this first screening of Cornell's film. And <laughs> the film was actually um, East of Borneo. And um, Dolly commented to Cornell because during the screening, he became outraged at this movie, as Dolly sometimes would. And Dolly claimed that he had just had the exact same idea of applying this collage technique to film. So after he watched the screening, Dolly went to Cornell and said that he should stick to making boxes and stop making films. Cornell 
unfortunately, was traumatized by this event, and he was already pretty shy to begin with. So he rarely showed his films after this encounter with Salvador Dali. But he did continue to experiment with film uh, until the year that he died, 1972. And while his earlier films were often collages of short films, his later ones actually montaged together footage that he, you know, uh, expressly commissioned from professional filmmakers with whom he collaborated with. These later films were often set in some of his favorite neighborhoods and around some of his favorite landmarks in New York City, which were Mulberry Street, Bryant Park, Union Square Park, and the Third Avenue Elevated Railway. And in 1969, he actually gave a collection of both his own films and the works of others to the Anthology Film Archives in New York City. So, all of these things were wonderful inspirations for Zorn to write that solo cello piece by Eric, performed by Eric Friedlander dedicated to Joseph Cornell. Well, up next, we've got some interesting um, takes on some film music for you. Here's Chinatown.
Chinatown, composed by the wonderful Jerry Goldsmith for the 1974 film Chinatown, starring Jack Nicholson and Faye Dunaway. That was an arrangement by John Zorn of Chinatown, written for the Naked City Band, which included Bill Frizzell on guitar, Wayne Horvitz on the on the keyboards, Fred Frith on bass, Joey Barron on the drums, and of course John Zorn on the saxophone. Well, we got two more from the Naked City Band. Here is Contempt from the film Contempt, also known as Le Mépris. That was Le Mépris, or Contempt, by John Zorn's Naked City. That was from the film Le Mépris, by Jean-Luc Godard, 
starring Brigitte Bardot and Jack Palance. That was from 1963. And the music was by George Delarue, arranged by John Zorn for his Naked City Band. Well, our last one is from, for the Naked City Band, is the James Bond theme. John Barry's theme for James Bond, played by John Zorn and the Naked City Band. And that arrangement just shows that Naked City can not only do great hardcore music, great film music, but they can swing their asses off too. Once again, the Naked City Band 
is John Zorn on saxophone, Bill Frizzell on guitar, Wayne Horvitz on the keyboards, Fred Frith on bass, and Joey Barron on the drums. Up next, we're going to take a look at John Zorn being inspired by Ennio Morricone from his Big Gundown album dedicated to Morricone's film scores. Here is Kime. Here is the Ballad of Hank McCain from The Big Gun Down.
knocks his head against the wall No one knows better than McCain How it hurts a man to fight That is human after
The Ballad of Hank McCain from The Big Gun Down. This is Zorn's homage to the film composer Ennio Morricone, who composed many of his best works for Sergio Leone and those spaghetti westerns. And basically, this was recorded in 1984, 1985, and was released in 1985 with a 15th anniversary edition in 2000s. And it is not John Zorn just playing Morricone tunes. It's everything Morricone through the Zorn filter. You know, it's Zorn's own way of doing and performing Morricone's music. And the personnel on this is just fantastic. As we heard in the first track, Kime is just gorgeously beautiful. Um, the original version is gorgeous, and, and, and Zorn's arrangement is just fantastic as well, followed by The Ballad of Hank McCain. And throughout the entire album is just the who's who of you know the Zorn family, the inner circle. Ciro Baptista is on the cuica, Joey Barron's on the drums, Tim Byrne comes in on the alto sax, who Zorn had played with in the Spy vs. Spy albums, you know, uh, for Ornette Coleman. You also have Anthony Coleman on piano, harpsichord, organ, Trevor Dunn on the bass, Carol Emanuel from the Gnostic Trio on the harp, Anton Fear on drums, Bill Frizzell on guitar, Fred Frith, on bass and electric guitar on different tracks. Wayne Horvitz is on piano, celeste, and electronic keyboards. Guy Klusevic is on the accordion. Ardo Lindsay is on guitar. <sighs> Big John Patton, the great jazz organist, is on organ. Mike Patton is on vocals, which we also heard from The Ballad of Hank McCain. That was Mike Patton singing there. Bobby Previtt is on the drums. Bobby Quine is on the electric guitar. Uh, And just so so many more. Toot Stillman's is actually on the harmonica and whistling. And of course, Zorn is on the saxophone, uh, the harpsichord, piano, game calls, and, and, and of course, the master arranger himself as well as many other musicians. Those are just the ones that stick out as part of the Zorn family and that inner circle of his friends that he's worked with for so long. This goes all the way back to 1984. Uh, Fantastic record. If you haven't checked out The Big Gun Down, by all means, support these artists. Go to Zadik.com, T-Z-A-D-I-K.com, and... um, or Amazon or whoever you you know buy or download music through and check it out. Support these artists. Also, check out the Dr. Jazz Podcast website. Go to drjazzpodcast.wordpress.com and check out all the, the covers and uh, make sure you're getting the right album. There's so much information. Uh, you don't want to get confused. Although it's all wonderful. It's all fantastic. So our next inspiration through sound and vision is the vampire Nosferatu.
Nosferatu by John Zorn off of his album Nosferatu. And this features not only Zorn on the piano, the alto sax, the Fender Rhodes, and electronics. It's also featuring Rob Berger on piano and organ, Bill Laswell from Painkiller on the bass, and Kevin Norton on the vibraphone, the drums, orchestral bells, and the Tibetan prayer bowls. This was created for a modern Polish stage production of Bram Stoker's classic vampire tale. And Zorn has created this music that has been, the blurb about it says that it's filled with nostalgia, tenderness, violent power, and a great sense of mystery. Featuring the dark ambient bass tones of Bill Aswell, the sensitive keyboards of Rob Berger, Kevin Norton on drums, vibes, and percussion, and John Zorn on saxophone, this is a moody and menacing program of music for late night listening. Romantic ballads, ambient soundscapes, and hardcore intensity. And the cool part is that it was released on the 100th anniversary of Bram Stoker's death, which was April 20th, 1912. So this album is obviously from 2012. And it's got this, I I have this album, and it's got this beautiful sheen to the cover. And the words Nosferatu are almost written in this red paint-like blood kind of dripping font. And it's got, of course, John Zorn's name at the top and this little red bat. So it's just, it's beautiful, beautiful music. And we've got one more selection from this album, just to show you the diversity within it. What we heard first was the title track, Nosferatu, and here is the Stalker dub from Nosferatu.
right? That was the Stalker dub from John Zorn's Nosferatu album. Beautiful, crazy, groove, creepy, just wonderful, wonderful music. It, I, I love the sound effects. It almost sounds like a bat. I think that's just fantastic and completely appropriate for that particular album. But up next, we've got a selection from the Alhambra Love Songs album. And this piece is entitled Tiberon, which is dedicated to David Lynch, the great director, the same director that you may know from Eraserhead or The Elephant Man, Dune, Blue Velvet, Twin Peaks, the Lost Highway, or Mulholland Drive. So, that's what, uh, to recap, that's what we're talking about on this episode and our continuing series on the composer John Zorn. This installment is dedicated to the art and the film and the filmmakers who have inspired Zorn to write wonderful music, and we call this installment Sound and Vision. So, Without further ado, here is Tiberon for David Lynch. Thank you. 
All right, that was Tiberon for David Lynch from the album Alhambra Love Songs featuring Rob Berger on the piano, Greg Cohen on the bass, and Ben Porowski on the drums. As you can hear, that could easily have been a soundtrack to one of David Lynch's films. It's got that desolate vibe about it. It's just absolutely wonderful and highly atmospheric. Up next, we have a very rare piece called Jane Mansfield, written for the actress Jane Mansfield. And it comes from the album Deadly Weapons from 1986 that features Steve Beresford, David Toop, Tony Marshall, and John Zorn. Here's Jane Mansfield.
That's Jane Mansfield for the actress Jane Mansfield, the cleavage queen, the same one from The Girl Can't Help It, and the sexploitation film, which actually featured her nude in 1963, called Promises, Promises. (sighs) Sadly, she died in a car accident at 34. That's why we have the Jane Mansfield law about... um, for big trucks because she was decapitated. Um, I think that's why some of those sound effects were in that track, which is kind of horrific all in itself. So I had to dig really deep for this next one. This is from the album Locus Solus by John Zorn. Here is a track called White Zombie, dedicated to the film starring Bela Lugosi. White Zombie. Ha <laughs> ha 
All right, that was White Zombie, dedicated to the film White Zombie, starring Bella Lugosi as a voodoo master, you know, who could control people's minds and have these zombies working for him. It's one of my favorite films. Anyway, we're going to end up this segment of the Dr. Jazz podcast, focusing on John Zorn. This is part six of a special series entitled Sound and Vision, Inspiration Through Art and Film. And we're going to end this with a track called Godard that Zorn wrote for the just consummate French filmmaker Jean-Luc Godard. And he used this kind of jump cut technique um, because many of Godard's films uh, had the same kind of jump cut technique within the films. Godard, of course, had many, 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 many wonderful films such as Alphaville and um, The Band of Outsiders and just Breathless. And there's just lots of lots of great, great Jean-Luc Godard films. Uh, Le Mepri which we talked about earlier. Um, tu va bien. Un femme, c'est une femme. La Petite Soldat. Just lots of great films by Godard. And on top of that, the group that Zorn assembled to record this track is fantastic. It's Bobby Previtt on the drums, Christian Marclay on turntables, David Weinstein on the keyboards and computer, Luli Shoi on vocals, Wu Xiaoying on some narration, Richard Foreman on the English narration, Bill Frizzell on guitar and banjo, Carol Emanuel on the harp, both from the Gnostic Trio nowadays, Anthony Coleman's on piano, organ, harpsichord, and celeste, and Zorn himself is on the alto sax, the clarinet, and all of the French narration. So without further ado, here is Godard.
我已经不爱你，我不喜欢你的脸，你的眼睛，你的嘴巴，我不喜欢你毛衣的颜色，你真没有意思，真是不得了，太多烦恼，你太复杂。什么？他要去哪里？他是什么？一切还是秘密。人生就是不可救的神秘。<音>
去的时间的追求。
I passed three or four streets, but still there was no sign of the turning I wanted. That was Godard for the wonderful French film director, Jean-Luc Godard. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Um, Let me give a shout out to all the wonderful listeners who's actually been listening to all of this series dedicated to John Zorn. He is a fantastic composer who I don't think gets enough credit, who doesn't get enough attention for the diversity and the breadth of work that he produces and the care in which he packages all this materials through Zodic and the wonderful sense of community that he has with his musicians who he takes care of, who he respects and just how honest his music is. So hopefully you're enjoying these wild, crazy, wonderful fascinating sides to John Zorn's music as much as I am in this series we've so far we've tackled his inspiration from various authors and literature 
his inspiration from the art of exotica and its composers and, and musicians like Les Baxter and Martin Denny. We've taken a look at how the occult has inspired John Zorn, how he can come up with wonderful hardcore music from Painkiller to Naked City to Simulacrum and, and, and the Moonchild group and everything in between. We've taken a look at his film scores through his film work series and now Sound and Vision, art and film as inspiration to John Zorn and his music in this episode. There's a few more installments, so stay tuned. Thank you for listening. And remember, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Y'all be good now, because in Zorn, in Zorn, we trust.